0: Staying focused is one of the challenges of life with deep determination. We decide to do something only to then get distracted and not do it. And that's what I mean when I say staying focused is one of those great challenges of life. It's important, it's important to accomplish anything in life, but it's especially important in our spiritual life. The problem is that when you focus on the accomplishments in this life, you lose focus on your spiritual life. So the great, great challenge for a believer is, is it to stay focused on both at the same time? The answer, of course, is yes. That's a challenge that's sometimes difficult, but it can be done. That is illustrated in the life of Joseph and his father, Jacob. So let's continue our study in Genesis by looking at what happened next. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 46. Now as we look at this passage, we need to be reminded, you know the story by now, that Joseph had 12 sons, one of which was, I mean, Jacob had 12 sons, one of which was Joseph. Joseph got sold into slavery into Egypt, and to make a very long story short, uh, there was a famine, and Joseph down in Egypt had been elevated to the second highest political position in Egypt and was able to figure out to store food to prepare for the famine. In the meantime, years and years later, when the famine hit Palestine, his family came to Egypt, and they were reunited after more than 20 years. Now we've looked at all of that story in great detail, and that brings us to chapter 46, verse 33. Joseph now has just been reconciled with his father Jacob. And so it shall be, he says, when Pharaoh calls you. I'm sorry, I started at verse 33. I mean to start at verse 31. Then Jacob said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock and they have brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. Now let me just pause and mention uh, that he's just been reconciled with his father, and he now says to his brothers and to the whole household for that matter, all right, here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to go see Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell him that you have come Uh, from the land of Canaan, and that you are shepherds. That's mentioned in verse 32, and that is very important. He makes a point out of, I'm going to tell them that you are shepherds, and that's your occupation to feed livestock, and that you brought your flocks and herds and all that they have. So Joseph just announces that this is what I'm going to do. Now, look at verse 33. So it shall be, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth until now, both we and our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Very, very interesting. He says to them, look, I'm going to go see Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell him you're shepherds. Then he he repeats himself, so to speak, and he says, now let me rehearse this. You ready? I'm going to have you talk to Pharaoh, and when he asks you what is your occupation, you tell him that you're shepherds and that you've been shepherds from your youth and that you have your flocks and your herds with you. But he is emphatic that they tell him uh, that we're shepherds. The shocker is, I mean, you, if you read this passage, you got to ask, why are you making such a big deal out of that? And the last phrase in the last verse of chapter 46 says, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, <laughs> if if The shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. Why do you want to make such an issue out of it? And the answer is he wants them to stay in the land of Goshen. And that was separated from the rest of the Egyptians. In that place, they would be isolated. Now, if you remember, Joseph told Pharaoh that his family was coming And the Pharaoh was so deeply grateful for what Joseph had done in saving them from the famine that hit the land that he said I'll give them the best land when they come. So by telling them they are shepherds, then that would guarantee that Pharaoh would give them this good land for pasturing sheep and herds down in Goshen. Uh, Some say that uh, The Egyptians were an agricultural society, and they hated shepherds for some reason. And I couldn't never quite figure out other than that why. Uh, I do know that a king that came later had over 3,000 foreigners just to take care of his flocks. So the Egyptians wouldn't do it, and they hired foreigners to do it. So that's what's going on. Now, that's preparation for what comes in chapter 47. Now there is the presentation of his family to Pharaoh. So let's pick it up at chapter 47, verse one. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers, their flocks, their herds, and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they're in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. So very clearly we're in the part of the passage where he's prepared them, that's the latter part of chapter 46, and now he's going to present them to Pharaoh. And so uh, He told Pharaoh they'd come from Canaan, they were shepherds, they brought all their flocks with them, and he took five of his brothers to present them to Pharaoh, who has promised now to give them the best part of the land. So verse 3 says, then Pharaoh said to his brothers, that is Joseph's brothers, what is your occupation? That's exactly what Joseph said he would do. And that's what he did. What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers, meaning we've done this for a long time. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief shepherds over my livestock. So uh, when they get before Pharaoh, they explain that they are shepherds, and they explain that coming to Egypt was a necessity because the famine was so severe in Canaan. Now, Pharaoh responds favorably to this, mainly because Joseph, Saved the whole nation. You'll recall that story, that he had a dream that there was going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And as a result of that they stored food for seven years and when the famine did hit they were prepared for it. So Pharaoh is responding to that great blessing that Joseph was uh, to him. And so he says, All right, I'll give them the best land. And if you've got some competent people, I'll make them uh, shepherds over my own chief shepherds, over my own flock. So, verse 7 says, Then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of my years and my pilgrimage are one hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Now, we're going to get to the, I think, interesting part of this story. Up to this point, the whole focus has been we got to get you settled in Egypt. Joseph has been focused on I got to get the family settled and provide for. We got to get them food and we got to get their flock settled. That's the whole focus of everything then all of a sudden Jacob comes on the scene and Jacob, it says in verse 7, blessed Pharaoh. Look at verse 10. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now normally it would be a superior person who blessed an inferior person. Here is Pharaoh being blessed by Jacob. Now, what I'd like to suggest is that this is a critical part of this story. I mean, we're going to read the rest of the chapter, and almost the rest of the chapter is about the getting them settled in Goshen and getting people fed. But it is significant that twice this passage says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Even in the midst of this crisis, even in the midst of this emergency to get food for their families, Jacob didn't lose his spiritual focus. And that, I think, is a critical part of this passage. He didn't have to bless Pharaoh. I don't know exactly what that meant. I don't know that anybody does other than He prayed for Pharaoh, but it was significant because it's stated twice in this part of the passage. But let's think about that for a minute. If you're reading the book of Genesis and you drop this passage in the context of that book, which it is, then you can't help but remember that way back in chapter 12, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I want you to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Now it is obvious that in the book of Genesis and in the Old Testament, God chose the Jews. But what sometimes gets missed is God chose the Jews in order to bless the world. And the primary way they did that was it was through their lineage that we get the Messiah. So the whole seed plot of the Bible, at least the Old Testament and to that extent the New Testament as well, is in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to choose you, bless you, so you will bless others. And Jacob, who's in line with Abraham and Isaac to receive the blessing, is here seen blessing others. Now, I would like to suggest that's the focus we need to keep, that we bless others. God blesses us so that we can bless others. I would go so far as to say that when we stop blessing others, we stop growing, that it is critical to our own spiritual life that we bless other people. As a matter of fact, uh, the, one of the best illustrations of that that many preachers have used for many years is that uh, the Dead Sea is dead because it has no outlet. Uh, in the land of Palestine, there's the Sea of Galilee up north, it empties into the Jordan River, which winds down the land and empties into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest spot on the surface of the earth. It's 1,300 feet below sea level. And there's no outlet because it's the lowest spot on the face of the earth. There's no outlet. And so all the minerals gather in there, and they have no way to get out. So the Dead Sea is 33% salt. The ocean, I think, is 3% salt. And you've seen pictures of people floating in the Dead Sea. I've done it. And it is easy to do. All you have to do is get into the water and lay down and you float on the surface of the water. It's dead. There are no fish in it. The mineral content is so high, no fish can live in it. It's the dead, dead sea. Now, why is it dead? It's dead because it has no outlet. It just accumulates all the minerals, stagnates, and kills everything in it. And that has been used by many a preacher to suggest that we need to be channels of blessing, and in order for us to be healthy, we need to have an outlet and we need to grow. So I think it's significant that Jacob blesses Pharaoh even in the middle of a crisis, even in the middle of an emergency. As a matter of fact, He talks about the fact that his whole life has been a life of difficulty. Uh, He says that uh, he lived an evil life, as a matter of fact. Uh, Look at verse 9. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. So that, he says, my life was not easy, it was difficult. The Hebrew word that's translated evil means bad, evil, but it also means distress, misery, calamity. One commentator says that it emphasizes the calamitous times that he had experienced. Another commentator favors the word difficult. I've had a difficult life. And still another suggests that the idea might be something like wretched or unhappy. And he goes on to say that Jacob had many hardships and disappointments, including being compelled to flee from home, being treated wretchedly and deceptively by his father-in-law, living with the rape of his daughter Diana and the murders of his sons Simeon and Levi and the incest of Reuben, encountering the hostility of Esau and grieving the, less, uh, the loss of Joseph, Rachel, and Benjamin. So what I thought was significant is here is a man who's in the middle of a crisis after having experienced a very difficult calamitous, hard life. And what does he do? Blesses Pharaoh. He kept his focus. He kept the focus on his purpose, which was to bless others. So, you can do both. That's the point. Now, let's pick it up at verse 11. And Joseph uh, situated his father And his brothers and gave them possessions in the land of Egypt and the best of the land and the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father and his brother and all of his father's household with bread according to the number in their family. So the focus now goes back to he's got to provide for the physical needs of his family. Perfectly legitimate. But sandwiched in the midst of all this concern, providing physically, was this man, Jacob, who blessed Pharaoh spiritually. I don't normally do this, but uh, can I chase a rabbit for a minute? Did you see that verse 11 said the land of Ramses? That is a huge problem in the Old Testament. Let me take a minute and explain that. In Exodus chapter 1, this is 400 years after this, or hundreds of years after this, uh, the children of Israel are said to be in the city of Ramses. Liberal scholars who tend to shred the Bible land on that verse in Exodus chapter 1, and they say, that because of the name of Ramses the children of Israel did not get out of Egypt until around uh, 1300 some say 1291 uh, based on that one word Ramses in Exodus chapter 1 and here's their argument. Their argument is that uh, Ramses did not live Pharaoh Ramses did not live until roughly around 1300. So therefore, the children of Israel are still in Egypt in 1300. That is based on the assumption that they're in the city of Ramses and it was named after that Pharaoh, which is not stated. It's just stated they were in a city and it was named Ramses. Now, if you follow the biblical chronology, mainly based on 1 Kings 6.1, the exodus must have taken place in somewhere around uh, 1446-47. That's way later than they want to date it, but if you follow biblical chronology, you're shut up to that. So how do you answer the fact that The Pharaoh Pharaoh, uh, Ramses didn't live until, uh, reign until 1300 and uh, the city was named after him. By the way, I know that sounds all kinds of technical and so forth, but if you watch the History Channel and it ever talks about the Exodus, they're going to say it was 1300 and it's based on the word Ramses in Exodus chapter 1. Now the answer to them is that Ramses existed hundreds of years before that in Genesis 47, which they tend to ignore. So the city of Ramses in Exodus chapter 1 was not named after the Pharaoh of 1300 because it already existed here in Genesis chapter 47. So again... That's another case where a supposed contradiction in the Bible, or in this case, uh, something that's used to contradict the Bible, uh, needs to be answered, and it is. All right, let's go back to the story. Let's pick it up at verse 13. Now, there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Now we're going back to the whole issue of no food. So Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they had brought and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Now if you'll recall, Joseph is second in command and he's the one that stored up all this food So he's selling it, and he's putting the money in the royal treasury. He's focused on his job. That's what he was supposed to do, and that's what he did. Verse 15, so when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Now what they're saying is, we used all of our money to buy food, now we don't have food and we don't have money. We gave it all to you. So give us food. Verse 16, then Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock into Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses and flocks and cattle of herds and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. All right. They gave all their money, and they gave all their livestock. The whole issue in this chapter is we've got to provide for people's physical needs. Verse 18, and when that year ended, They came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord, that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our hands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be the servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of the Egyptians for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because of the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people He moved them into cities from one of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their lands. Now what's going on here is very, very simple. This is a severe famine. So they use all of their money to buy food. When that's all gone, they sell their cattle. When that's all gone, they sell themselves. Now, slavery has a very, very negative connotation to us because of what we've seen in more modern times. But in the ancient world, this was a common practice that uh, they sold themselves uh, to pay off a debt, or in this case, to buy food. Now, uh, matter of fact, somebody commenting on this passage says that's not a whole lot different than us selling yourself to the company store, that when you go to work for a company, they own you for 40 hours a week at least, And uh, now we have more freedom than that. But the point is, that was a very normal thing in the ancient world. So they've given everything now. And notice, Joseph stayed focused, and uh, he put it all in Pharaoh's coffers. Now we're down to verse 23. Then Joseph said to the people, oh, by the way, I didn't mention the priests didn't have to go through this. The priests are not the Hebrew priests, they're the Egyptian priests. So they didn't have to sell their land. They were a privileged class. Verse 23, Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have brought you, bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look here, is seed for you, and you shall now sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food for those of your household and foods for your little ones. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 25. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. By the way, he gave them seed, told them they could sow it to grow food. The Nile River supplied the water, and he charged them a tax. What is a fair tax? The tax here is 20 percent. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was rather fascinating. But 20 there's a lot of people talking about a flat tax. And when they start talking about a flat tax, they make me nervous. If you're anything about the tax code in America, you know. Did you know that when the income tax uh, was... I didn't mean to get off into this. Uh, that the income tax was not original. You know how we used to supply... We, we financed the federal government through tariffs. Up until the Civil War, they instituted a uh, income tax, federal income tax, To pay for the Civil War. It was then found unconstitutional. And then they passed an amendment to make the income tax constitutional, and at that point, that was to pay for World War I, and at that point the income tax was 1%. So here, 20%. Interesting stuff. Pick up the story at verse 26. Then Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day, and this book is written many, many years after this, that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priest only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possession there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. So This is simply telling us Joseph instituted a 20% tax bracket, and it stayed that way for several hundred years after that, Uh, 20%. Uh, I think they're talking about lowering the tax rate, what is it, some 10, 15, and 25 income tax, and the corporate tax rate from 35, some want 20, and some want 15. At any rate, that puts in perspective 20% tax is probably right in the middle of all of that. At any rate, that's what happened. But Joseph has stayed focused on his job, which was to save the people from starvation, and he did not put any of the money in his own pocket. He put it all in the treasury of Pharaoh. Verse 28, well, verse 27 says, In the meantime, the Israelites lived in the land of Goshen and grew, multiplied numerically. And Jacob, verse 28, lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Joseph's life was 147 years. And when time drew near that Israel must die, that is another name for Jacob, He called his son Joseph and said to him, Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh, which is an ancient way of taking an oath. Uh, I'm not sure the duration of it, but I do know that's the meaning of it. And deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place, which was Hebron, by the way. Abraham and Isaac were buried in Hebron. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Now, Jacob is focused on spiritual things. Let me explain. God gave the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now they're in Egypt. But this indicates that Jacob believed that they would get the land. So he says to his son Joseph, do not bury me in Egypt. But when I die, take me back to Palestine, and bury me there, and he specifically says, with my forefathers. And if you go to Hebron today, there is a tomb that is said to be the tomb of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and several wives to boot. So he's still focused on spiritual things, believing the promise of God that he would give them the land of Palestine. Now there's more to the story, which we'll pick up later. But in the meantime, let me simply point out that both Jacob and Joseph in this story were focused. Joseph, of necessity, was focused on what he had to do. It was his job, it was his responsibility was the immediate situation, which was a crisis. And throughout the story, his father is constantly pictured as being focused on the spiritual side of what is happening. So he blesses Pharaoh, and he keeps in mind the promise God gave to Abraham and Isaac, his forefathers, and wants to be buried in the land of Palestine. So... What does this passage say to us? What is the point of the passage? Well, throughout, one of the things you have to conclude, if you understand this story in the context of Genesis, is that the Lord has provided for his children. He used Joseph to provide not only for the Israelites, but also for the Egyptians. So, Joseph, being the son of Jacob, is following the pattern of God has blessed you, you bless others. So God, on the one hand, has provided for his children, and on the other hand, he has used them to bless others. And I think you could stamp that across this whole chapter and a few verses in the previous chapter. So, what's the lesson for us and the lesson for us is that no matter what is going on in our lives, whether it's an emergency, a crisis, or a hard kind of life that Joseph said he experienced, we need to focus on our current responsibilities and we need to stay focused on our spiritual responsibilities. It's so easy to focus on the current and forget the eternal. It's so easy to focus on the material and forget the spiritual. This passage illustrates that these men, more obvious with Jacob than Joseph, but both, focused on both. They had to focus on the present and the material, they had to eat. And yet, they were a channel of blessing to other people, which is a spiritual command to them, and they didn't lose sight of the eternal in the midst of their present circumstance. There are many illustrations of this in the Scripture themselves, but it seems to me that Hebrews chapter 11 is the illustration of others who did the same thing. And I want to close by just uh, looking at one verse in Hebrews chapter 11. There's an old gospel song that says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Remember that song? Meaning something of what I'm trying to say tonight, that we're passing through and we have to pay attention to what's going on. But what we need to stay focused on is what's coming. This is not our home. We're just a passing through. Hebrews 11 opens by talking about people who had faith, including people like Noah, Enoch, Abraham, Sarah. And then it says in verse 13, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now it seems to me that that verse captures and capitalizes on this very point They didn't receive the promises, the spiritual promises of the land, but they didn't lose their focus, and that's my point tonight. All of Jacob went through, he didn't lose his focus. All that Joseph went through, he didn't lose his focus on being a blessing to other people. So these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen afar off, They were assured of them. They embraced them. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Translated, in short, they stayed focused. And I submit to you, that's the challenge. We need to focus on what we need to do here without losing our focus of eternal spiritual truth. Father, we confess that we get distracted. We get all caught up in material things in the present, sometimes a crisis. Lord, help us to keep our focus. Our focus on spiritual things and eternal things. In Jesus' name, amen.